Okay, so tonight I'm going to pose uh, three different questions that came to me over the course of the last week or two. And you'll let me know which one you want to talk about first. Maybe We'll probably get to more than one of them. So first, um, first question, I guess we'll go in a chronological order of how I got them. First, first question I got was from a guy who is dating a girl, hopefully going to get engaged soon at some point, and he... Uh, and the, the, the girl had asked the following Shaila. She um, had borrowed an earring from somebody. One earring, not two earrings. She borrowed a diamond earring from somebody. Why would you borrow a diamond earring from somebody? Because she needed to access the SIM card in the back of her iPhone. And she needed, she needed something sharp to get it. So she naturally borrowed a diamond earring to, uh, to access the SIM card. And she dropped it and lost it. And the diamond earring that she borrowed from a friend is gone. Now, let's say, for argument's sake, a pair of diamond earrings cost $1,000, um, but one diamond earring is worth less than $500 because it has limited utility. Uh, it's only good for, um, you know, uh, I guess guys who like to wear one earring, and but, you know, for, for women who like to wear two earrings, there's very limited utility. So she wants to know, how much does she owe her friend? Does she, let's say uh, one diamond earring is, uh, is worth $300, so does she owe her $500 because she lost half of a pair of $1,000 earrings? Does she owe her $300 because she lost an earring that itself is worth just $300 if you were to buy it itself? Or does she owe $700 because now what she left her friend with is $300 worth of earrings? Okay, so that's, uh, that's, that's uh, Shiloh number one. Shiloh number two, I, I got in like two different forms. I'll read you the emails that I got. One was not Lemaisa, was just being asked, like, exploratory kind of Shaila, and the other one seemed very much Lemaisa, but they're, they're similar, but at the same time very different. They're on the same topic. Um, one of them was, um, I'll read the, the, someone sent me the following email. Someone who didn't feel comfortable asking on her own asked me to ask you this question. Both of these are heartbreaking. Um, it says as follows. She's a girl who is in her 20s and was sexually abused growing up. And it was recommended to her that she go to a type of therapy where a male therapist would touch her in a nurturing way, non-sexual, to help fill the void that she didn't get from her father who had been the abuser. It was also recommended to her that she get nurturing hugs from male friends to experience the safety of touch. Does Halacha talk about this? Uh, again, the person in the show says, I'm not looking for a yes or no, just to know like what, you know, what Halacha would say about something like this. On a similar but different, different note, also uh, heartbreaking, someone sent me an email just recently. Is there any leniency to touch and hug my nine-year-old nephew? This is from a, from a young lady. She says, if, uh, if this changes the question at all, um, he lives with my parents because his parents are divorced and his mom, my sister, is, um, is absent much of the time and um, you know, does not, uh, is not the most nurturing of mothers. Um, and I think the more hugs he gets, the better for his own well-being. Is there any halakhic opinion that would allow for me as his aunt um, to, uh, to, to give hugs to my sister's son? So that is Shaila number two, about hugs to for the abuse victim versus and, and hugs for someone who just a young boy who needs who needs a loving mother kind of uh, kind of uh, a relationship and then the third Shaila relates a little bit to Chodesh Adar I think um, much more cheerful than the previous uh, Shaila uh, someone said I got a, a Shaila from a a principal of an all boys high school 
Um, not not the one that I teach at. He doesn't ask me his shilas, but a, a principal of an of an old boys high school who said that uh, he said our drama society director. So there's the first chiddush that it's an old boys high school and they have a drama society director. So he said our drama society director would like to put on a play that has a female character in it. You see, because um, apparently, as it turns out, fifty percent of the inhabitants of planet Earth are female, and uh, when they write plays and movies and things like this, they try to reflect some version of reality. So it's very difficult to write plays and movies that don't have any females in them. So they, find, they, find, they found one play that they could do, it's about explorers in Antarctica or something, and there's one female part, there's one scene with a female part. So uh, it's a drama, it's a serious role, non-sexualized, wanted to talk to you, and you had a moment about the halachic parameters of having a boy play the female part dressing up like a woman. So what is the halacha about that? So again, three shilas. Number one, we had, got rid of it, oh, the earring. Number two was with the hugging and the, uh, the nurturing of uh, the people who need, who need the emotional support. And number three, about the, uh, the boy dressing up like a girl for the, for the part in the play. Any preference, any of these particularly intriguing or not intriguing? Two is most intriguing. For sure. You say double Pasha? Or you're saying number two also? Yeah? Okay. So that was the nurturing hugging thing. So, okay. A little bit of background over here. First of all, this is, uh, you know, in a different form, the Shaila comes up all the time. A guy goes to Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael and uh, he discovers that there is something called... um, uh, and he doesn't want to uh, he doesn't want to violate what we commonly refer to as Nagia Bidarachiba and um, he has all sorts of relatives, cousins and aunts and you know all sorts of relatives who the second he gets off the plane are gonna give him big hugs and kisses and he's not sure how should he react. You know, should he like uh, give show off his new left hook? Should he uh, what, how should he react? To, uh, to to uh, to to people who he's always he's always had physical contact with doesn't have any taiva any yitzharhara for them so that that child, that's the most common form of the child. now over here it's a little more serious because it's not just stam you know the ant might be insulted might not over here it's a it's a, it's, it's much more uh, serious in, in both of these cases but there is a big difference between the two cases we spoke about the first case was that random strangers should hug this girl. Uh, uh, an adult, uh, you know, an adult woman who's a young woman and that she should just be hugged by random male friends, uh, that's a little bit different than a nine-year-old boy with his aunt. Those are, uh, you know, it's a very different kind of relationship. So let's, let's talk about... Right, the therapist is also not a relative and is... What? Could be considered medical. So the therapist would argue, uh, 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 the way the, the Shiloh was phrased was that no matter who it is, it's considered medical because it's all the treatment to get over the abuse. Right, right. Technically a medical professional. The thing is, yeah, so we'll talk about that. Let's, let's, let's just a little bit of background. Um, there is a well-known machlokas Rambam Rambam. You know, whenever you go into a high school class when there's uh, no topic that you have to be covering, you know, like an optional shear. What do you want to talk about? Talk about Nagia. Okay, but they don't really want to talk because then you start going through Rambam Ramban with the Rayas are, what? I was I wanted to talk about girls. They don't want to talk about the Rambam and the Ramban. And, but there, there is Machlokas Rambam and the Ramban about Nagia B'Darachiba. 
whether it's Nisidaraisa, or Chibuk Venishuk with Arayos, whether it's Nisidaraisa or it's Nisidrabban, there's no Machlokas whether it's Asir, it's Machlokas whether it's Nisidaraisa or Nisidrabban. The Rambam in the 21st part of Yisri Bia, Halacha Aleph, is very clear that it is in Nisidaraisa. Kol Haba al Erva min Arayos, Derech Ivarim, Oh! Shechibek Venishek Derech Taiva. Derech Taiva means in a in, a, in a, an affectionate sexual way. Venena Bekiruv Basar. Harezaloka minatora. Schaiv Malkus minatora. Fine, that's the Shita Saramam. And in fact, the Shulchanarach Paskins that way. Shulchanarach in Ebna Ezer, Simon Chaf, Si'if Aleph Paskins exactly like the Rambam. There's Navastrabi Nasan that sounds this way, that it is definitely an Isr Da Oraisa. So Shulchanarach Paskins, Habalach Smeraiz, Derechevarim, Oshkhib Nishum, Nanabakir Basar, Harezaloka, Vichashral Arayas. And not only is he loka, he's also chashal arayas. You have to suspect people who behave in that way for uh, committing serious sins of arayas. It happens to be there's a sheet of the Ramban in Sagas, uh, the Sefer Mitzvah, Losa Seshinun Gimel, where he argues that it's only Drabanan. He makes a very long, compelling case that it should be only Drabanan. But the Ramban made a long, compelling case about everything he argued with the, uh, with the Rambam about. The, the uh, Rabbi Balsam always likes to say, Rabbi Yehuda Balsam always says, that when the Ramban argues on the Rambam, he doesn't say that there's a Gemara against the Rambam, he says that there's every Gemara against the Rambam. And he somehow manages to show how Ganshas is against the Rambam. So there's a very long Ramban that argues on this Rambam, but it happens to be we don't paskin like this Ramban. The Shulchanach paskins like the Rambam, that it's Nisadaraisa. So we're dealing with, if it were Derech Taiva, if it were Derech Taiva, we'd be dealing with something that would be quite significant in Isidar Raisa. It happens to be in the Sefer Kedoshim Tiyu, he quotes from Rav Kook, that even the Ramban would hold its Nisidar Raisa if it were done consistently, if it were done on a constant basis. As a one-off thing, as something that's done once in a while, that's where the Ramban meant that it's only Nisidar Raban. I don't know what the Rav Kook's Raya's are, he doesn't really go into great detail, but in, uh, in the Sefer Kedoshim Tiyu, he says that he heard from, I think, Rav Neria, B'Shem, B'Shem Rav Kook, that uh, even the Ramban would hold that it's, uh, that it's an Isidar Raisa. You know, people very often think like Rav Kook is like modern Orthodox. Yeah, Rav Kook was not modern. It, the, the, uh, the, even like like the whole people sometimes, uh, especially Americans, sometimes like look at Israeli society and think like it mirrors American society. Like the Haredim in Israel, like the Yeshivish people in America, it's not true. <laughs> and that like if you go to uh, to Merkas Harav, that's like modern Orthodox. There's nothing modern Orthodox about Merkas Harav. It is it's Haredim who are Zionistic. That is, uh, you know, so it's a very different kind of uh, kind of culture. It's it's uh, you know it's obviously it's an entirely different different kind of culture. Someone just sent me an email today that Rav Asher Weiss was quoted as saying that the Kleisenberger Rebbe, Rav Asher's Rebbe, was as anti-Zionist as the Satmar Rebbe, but also as Zionist as Rav Kook. So I sent back, what does that mean? So, <laughs> I don't have no idea what that means. So the person sent back exactly. I don't know what it means. I don't know. If anyone has a shot, you let me know. But Rav Kook apparently was... Uh, so anyway, so Rav Kook held that that's the, the shita of the Ramban would be that it's Daraisa if it's done on a consistent basis. What about Nagiya Shalob Adarachiva? You touch in a way that's not at all affectionate. A medical professional uh, doing an exam or something, taking blood pressure or uh, something like that, or tapping someone on the shoulder or bumping into someone in the subway or something like that. So Nagiya Shalob Adarachiva, the Rav Moshe writes in his shuva, the famous shuva about the subway, about going into the crowded subway, it's heter gomer. It's not, it's not even uh, an isra at all. 
question, the, the trick is, where, how do you define Megiyah Shal Bader So some of the poskim, uh, the stipler in all of his letters, he has like 50 letters where he says that uh, shaking hands is definitely Derechiba because you're showing affection, you're showing warmth, you're showing friendliness. So that's Derechiba, that's friendliness. Whereas others would say, no, Derechiba means, I think... Um, uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Henkin, he always have to be a little careful, He's, he tends to have a more liberal view of a lot of the, uh, these issues, but Rabbi Henkin in Shuvah's Bnei Banim uh, suggests, which seems, seems like a pretty compelling svara, that Derech in this regard, is, it's not Derech it's Derech Taiva. So how do you define Derech Taiva? What you would expect, if you'll excuse me to say, I just don't know a better, way, better word to use, what you'd expect someone to do in foreplay would be derech taiva. So you don't see like a couple that's about to uh, commit a riot or something, you know, start with a, uh, with a handshake. Like you wouldn't, ima- you wouldn't imagine that, that that would be a type of contact that they would, that they would have. So that's that. So I think that's the generally accepted opinion, certainly of my rebbeims, that a handshake is not considered derech derech taiva. Um, obviously, it doesn't mean that uh, you know that that uh, high school boys should be going to high school girls and shaking their hand. And you know, it, it, Rabbi Uligoy says if you have a business meeting with someone, you have a, you have an interview, so you have you have to shake the, the woman sticks out her hand. You have to shake her hand. He says, so you make a firm, brisk, quick handshake. It shouldn't be, it used to be they would suggest the, uh, the dead fish. You know, they just stick your hand out and let them shake your, shake your hand. And he said, that's what Salvagic used to do. That a woman uh, would come around in YU, a donor or whatever, and, uh, and she would stick out a center. Salvagic would just, you know, like leave his hand there for her to shake. As an older man, he could get away with it probably. And Rabbi Willock said, he has Eidus Nehman and Rabbi used to do the same thing. I, Rabbi writes, Beferish and Nechuva, that you're not allowed to shake hands. Yeah, but everyone knows that Ramesha not only did the same thing, he told people also that asked the Shaila. He didn't want to put it in a tshuva for whatever reason. It's Yadua. Uh, Ramesha held, held the same way. So uh, Rabbi Willux said, okay, the dead fish will get you fired. So you, gotta, you do a bone crusher, bone crushing handshake. So that will get you fired too. So you give a quick, brisk handshake, and that's the way that, that, uh, that you do it. But probably it's Nagia. Shalom Darchim. Now it's interesting. Beis Yosef in Yerodeus and Mukaf Tzadihei in the Simon about Harchakos Nida says that a medical exam on Ishto Nida might be Yaharik Val Yavor because it's Abizrayu Degilei Arayus, even though it seems that it's not Bederech Chiba, so it's not Bederech Taiva. So the Beis Yosef seems to be working with the assumption that even Shalom Bederech Taiva is going to be Aser. Um, and the Beis Shmuel writes this way in Simon Chav Sifkanal that it's also Rafilu Shalom B'Darach Taiva but the Rav Moshe explains that no, no, that's because it's Ishto Nida Ishto Nida is Aser even Shalom B'Darach Taiva but anyone else in the world it's one of those ironic things that you would think your own wife would be more mutter than somebody else's wife or than somebody else's but the Allah is not that way that the way one interacts with their own wife when she's in Nida is more limiting and more uh, severe than the way one would act with anybody else, with any other random woman. Meaning, according to the halacha, the way Ramesha and all the postmen understand it, if you're on a crowded elevator and you're stuck between two women, and one of them is your own wife who's Anida, and the other one is some other random strange woman, better to bump into the other woman than your wife. Because with your wife, Nagia even Shalobadarach Taiva, is Asr when she's in Nida. But someone else would be Mutter when she's in Nida. So it's, uh, it's an interesting, it comes out, comes out a little, little funny that way. Now, h- how old do these Yisurim start? At what age 
So for boys, I think the general assumption is that a nine-year-old boy, that's uh, generally the assumption that, uh, that, that that's when he reaches the age where these issues become an issue for him. And for a girl, it's machlok saposkim. The Biralacha writes that it's at the age of three. Mishvurl is at the age of three. That's why you'll see the, certainly the Haredim in Eretz and a lot of people in America also already at the age of three, they, uh, they dress their, uh, their, their daughters uh, with, uh, you know, full, full tzniyos, you know, sleeves, everything, the whole thing. The Chazanish says, no, when she becomes a young lady, when she's a little more mature. So it's always a difficult thing to define. Because first of all, you know, different, uh, I see my, my daughter now is seven years old. She's a very little seven years old. Not all of her friends are a little seven years old. Some of her friends are, uh, look much more mature than she does. It doesn't mean when we say become mature that she's physically matured. And, you know, it's, it's way before puberty. We're not talking about physical. We're talking about where she could sit at a table and talk to people, where people don't just you know, randomly go over and pinch their cheeks. Not the old creepy guy who does that to everybody. I mean, like regular people don't go and randomly uh, pinch her cheeks. We're talking about that, that uh, she's at a point where she's not, no longer just a little baby, where she's already a, uh, a young lady. I think that's generally the assumption that we work with, that that's the age... For a woman, that, for a girl, that it would be, it would be the, the age where she starts acting like a young lady. I asked Rav Shachter what, what, what he thought. He said that the way he was magdirit with his own daughters was that when his talmidim would come over at the age where the talmidim intuitively knew that they shouldn't uh, pinch his daughter's cheeks or take, the, take them on their laps or whatever. You know, at the age of three, they, they wouldn't even have a havamina to hesitate. A little, a little cute little kid. Of course, you play with a cute little kid. But once they got to the point where the girls were old enough that you, the talmidim knew intuitively not to behave that way with them, that's how, that's how we knew that it was time for them to start dressing properly and all, the, and all these other things. Uh, it's, I always find that it's difficult. The Mishmaru's Shita to me is very difficult. Yeah, because I see all these three-year-old girls that are dressed, you know, head to toe with the, and they're doing cartwheels and like, you know, like they have no hasaga whatsoever of tzniyos. You know, they, they, they can't. They're too little. They don't, uh, they're, not, they're not afraid they're not advised to walk around our room. They, they, they wouldn't, but the parents dress them that way. I don't know, it's hard to imagine that there's, uh, that, that it would start at that, that age. But anyway, that's Shita the Biralacha. On, on the other end, how old of a person uh, is there still an issue with? Meaning sometimes you have a person who's very, very advanced in age, so you would think that maybe it's not an issue at all. Uh, not so Pasha. Ramosha is pretty machmir about this with Isri Yichur and also with Chibav Benishuk. Even a person who's not, is not, is not able to have Bia and who's much older because he says everyone has Taivas and it's possible that older people have Taivas also. So uh, even older people should avoid this kind of uh, contact. The Tzitz Eliezer disagrees. He tends to uh, assume that once the person is not able to have Bia, which, uh, you know, then, then at that point you don't have to worry about these harchakos because even the Chibuk Benishuk with Arayos, even if it's Nisudaraisa, which it is, we pass Nisudaraisa, is what we call, Rav Yosef Engel has in a long essay, he calls it a Siag Daraisa. That this is a Daraisa, but it's clearly a Daraisa that was meant as a Siag to Arayos. So Moshe says, but it's an Isidoraisa in its own right, so there's nothing to do with whether he's going to be able to have beer with her. But so tell, yes, it's not, but it's clearly an Isidoraisa that relates to, uh, to, to having beer. So if they're not going to have beer, because he can't, it's just a physical impossibility, so then it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a problem. Now, what about relatives? This is the, uh, the critical point. Actually, before we get to the relatives. So on that first shayla, so what are we dealing with over here? We're dealing with what is a severe case of uh, trauma, of mental, um, you know, emotional 
trauma that a girl went through at a very young age. I think the, the, the minigin poskim is to treat such cases of abuse victims as pikuach nefesh, because abuse victims have a much higher suicide rate than, than the general populace, and it, it's, it leaves scars well, decades, decades later, it leaves significant scars. So we generally treat it like pikuach nefesh. Having said that, if we're going to be dealing with something that's Gilea Rayos, or that's an Abizrael of Gilea Rayos, maybe Yaharik Val Yavar, very hard to say. Imagine you're Paskening, Yaharik Val Yavar and Gilea Rayos. The other factor to take into account over here is that some of these treatments are not really tried and tested. Um, you know, when you're dealing with a drug, with a medication, it has to go through all sorts of trials before it gets approval or whatever. Um, psychologists and psychiatrists, well, psychiatrists use drugs a lot, but the psychologists will, 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 will use whatever tools they have at their disposal to try to help the patient. Some of them are very tried and true methods, and sometimes they're not such tried and true methods. It certainly doesn't have to go through that same rigor of uh, being able to be proven, proven to, to work. So when I spoke to, uh, uh, I actually didn't speak directly. I sent, I had someone speak to Rav Shechter and Rav Asher Weiss about both about this this shayla. They both were somewhat skeptical. They said you really need to talk to med- a lot of uh, mental health professionals to determine that this is in fact necessary, and uh, that it's not just someone with an idea that hey maybe this will help. You have to really see if it's in fact necessary. Very, very hard to really put your finger on something like this and say that it's absolutely necessary. So that's in terms of that first shayla, in terms of, which again wasn't asked halach so I didn't answer halach That's just some of the broad halachic issues they wanted to know that come up. That, that's what comes up. Now in terms of the second shayla with the ant and the child, so there's a well-known Rambam. But before the Rambam, there's a Gemara. Gemara in Shabbos Tafyu Gimel says that Ula would kiss his sisters on their Abeyadayu. Abeyadayu means their sleeves, Pashtus. Even though normally Ula held that Ami Linaziras, Sikra, we tell the Nazir, don't even go near the vineyard because the Nazir's not allowed to have grapes. So we don't just tell him not to eat grapes. Don't even go near the vineyard, stay far away from anything related to, to Arayos. But Ula held that when it comes to, that Ula for some reason would kiss his sisters on, on, their, on their sleeves. So Tal says because he knew he wouldn't have any taivas. So he didn't think that it was, uh, that it was a problem at all. The Gemara in Kiddushin Dafel tells the story of a grandfather with a granddaughter holding her on his lap, that it's uh, no problem at all. However, the Rambam in Yisurebiya, Perich Aleph, has some very harsh words about physical contact with those relatives who the Rambam says, I know you have no taiva for whatsoever. The Rambam writes, Someone hugs one of the Arayos that you have no taiva for, no Yitzhara for. Or you kiss one of them, Kigon, a sister who's of age. Your mother's sister. And similar such relatives, meaning 
such relatives that there's no taiva for. Why is there no taiva for them? The Gemara tells us why there's no taiva for them. Because at the same time that they shechted the Yitzhahara for Avodah they said, wow, that was amazing how that worked. People used to have such taivas for Avodah they would walk across deserts barefoot to try to get to Avodah and even though they were normally big tzaddikim. So can you imagine if we could just get rid of the Avodah for Arayos? Rebona Shalom, give us the Avodah for Arayos. Let's see what we can do if we can lock it up. So they tried to lock up the Avodah for Arayos, the Gemara said, and every chicken stopped laying an egg and every, you know, it was terrible. The world couldn't continue without the Avodah for Arayos. So they decided to knock out one of its eyes. And that was, uh, they, so they, they blinded one of its eyes. And uh, with that, we took away the Yetzirah for certain Arayos, for the the, the Yetzirah for Eishasish still exists, the Yetzirah for Nida still exists, but the Yetzirah for your sister, for your aunt, that, that was taken away. Those, uh, that Yetzirah, it's not a normal Yetzirah any, anymore. Apparently it used to be a normal Yetzirah. It is no longer a, uh, normal, a normal Yetzirah, right? It makes the story with, um, with Tamar a little bit, uh, you know, you understand a little more if, there was a, if it was a normal uh, Yetzirah. Well, with Amnon and Tamar, but uh, but okay, but it's no longer a normal Yetzirah. So the Ram says, I know there's no Yetzirah, there's no Taiva. Apalpisha ancient Taiva v'lo hano a klal. Even though there's zero, no, I know no Taiva whatsoever. Listen to the lashon though. He says, Hareza meguna biyoser. It's exceedingly disgusting. Vidavar asruhu, and it's a forbidden thing. Umaisa tipshimhu. And it is an act of fools. Shane Craven the Erva Klaubing Lobing Tanukhutzmiya Imlubnavlubita. Because you gotta stay away from anything that even uh, has a shmek of arayos. So most of us would read that Ramam and say, it's pretty clear that you can't do that. But we're uh, you know, pretend you're uh, you're not at a from the rabbi's desk, you know, just the looser kind of shear. Pretend like you're in morning state. And you're learning that Rambam because you want to be midaik in the Rambam, you want to learn the Rambam. When you see that Rambam, what do you really see? He doesn't say, it's just Asr. Right, when the Rambam is telling you something is Asr, he says, this is Asr in the Torah, this is Asr in the Torah, this is Asr in the Torah, this is Asr in So there are many poskim that suggest that the Rambam is trying to say the opposite. That what he's really trying to say is that it's not technically asr. And if it's not technically asr, it's just something that we don't recommend as a, uh, as a, as a standard practice. In fact, the Yotzar Poskum brings from the Sefer Bate Kuruna, of Menashe Klein quotes us in his Shuvah's Mishnah, Lachas Chelech Tess, and Reis that the language is very clearly not literally an isr. Other poskim disagree and say, how much clearer can he get? He said it three times. Maizadipshim, Maguna, Davrasr. But you hear both sides. Now, assuming that it's not a davrasa for an aunt with any age child, certainly uh, with a, a little kid, nine-year-old, uh, nine-year-old kid, and certainly given the uh, the need in this case that the child is not getting the normal emotional support that a child his age needs, and the fact that the aunt is asking the child tells me that she sees something that the, you know that it's not. It's not that he's dealing with everything just fine and, you know, he'll be okay. No, that she really sees that he needs a little more nurturing, he needs a little bit more, uh, more love. So uh, given that, you know, similar to what the post can talk about, adopted children. Imagine if you adopt a child and they were never able to show any signs of affection whatsoever. 
So uh, what kind of a normal, uh, how could the child have a normal upbringing that way? It's very difficult with no, no physical uh, si- signs of affection at all. So it's, uh, so posts can go out of their way to, to try to show, to try to, to try to be makil on things like that. So I, w- I thought in this case that we can certainly uh, be makil with, uh, with the ant. I said just, you know, keep an eye out when he's, uh, you know, if, if he's got it together, when, when he becomes bar mitzvah, and you see that he's that he's pulled himself together, and that he's okay, and that he's uh, you know that he doesn't need this kind of so then you you you, you don't uh, you don't continue this favor because it's not the way the Ramam is pretty strong. That's not the way we typically behave. And in all the chuvas that discuss this topic, even the ones that are mekel, and uh, Rabbi Henkin is mekel on a lot of these issues, and uh, ironically, Rabbi Klein, who's sort of like from the other end of the orthodox spectrum, um, is is mekel on these. Uh, on these uh, on these issues, um, but they all say uh, that that as as it should not be done as a consistent behavior. I mean, it should not be that it shouldn't just be oh it's mutter okay so you're just going to hug and kiss every relative. That's Rabbi Willig always says that under the chuppah, you know uh, the the nosikelim of Shatzman and nosikelim and the shulchan say that right after the chuppah meritzin as a chasam is you're supposed to run the chasam kala away from the chuppah because the we're choshesh that it's uh, that the nisuin is uh, is the yichud. And the, we just had the brachas, so you don't want to be mafsik between the brachas and the nisuin. So you want to get them out of there as quickly as possible, right? That's what Shachta said that he prefers not to make brachas at a Sephardi wedding. Why? Because they don't do the yichud right away. So he's afraid the brachas is not do yichud right away. It's a brachas vatala. So he doesn't want to say let the Sephardi rabbis make the brachas. He prefers not to. But someone told me my sarav when they asked him to do it, he did. He said the brachas, but he prefers not to. That's what uh, that's what he said. He doesn't want to say the brachas. So Rabbi Willick said he gets them out of there as fast as possible. He gets the chasan and kala out of there as fast as possible, not because of that, but because everyone starts hugging and kissing. He doesn't know who's hugging who, who's kissing who anymore. Just get them out of there before uh, you know it's, it's, it's all, you know everything. Thing is, uh, it's a complete hefker. So anyway, so I thought that, that was the answer to uh, to Shaila number two. Yeah. Back to the therapist case, if she, the therapist isn't related to her, she's not an ishes ish. I assume at this point. So is there any sort of role? She's a nida, right? She doesn't go to the mikvah, so she's a nida. Yeah. Would um, nowadays that uh, we're talking about an older older woman, so uh, how that if that's considered here or not? Like nowadays medically that. Could that's different now, even even at an older age. Right. They, uh, yeah. Those, uh, if you check your spam uh, mails, <laughs> you'll you'll find a whole bunch of uh, opportunities. Um, you know, to, yeah. So. I mean, according to the Tzitzeliezer, yeah, Tzitzeliezer says it all depends on whether the man is capable of having uh, be a so ninety-year-old man now is capable of having. I don't know. I have no idea of ninety-year-old, but I'm just saying that uh, that it could be that the tzitzeliezer changes. So you certainly shouldn't show off his left hook, but um, you know if if uh, as 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 a if he behaves in a certain way, um, most of the time after a while they'll get to him. You know that's not the you know that's just not the way he acts anymore. But um, and you know he can let them. Do whatever it is at first. I think you know. I prefer to deal with these cases, you know, on a case by case basis because every family dynamic is different. Sometimes you got to keep the long game in you know in mind in terms of 
what his parents are going to, you know, I've had situations where the parents were shunned a bet depended on, on how he reacted when his, uh, when his aunts came to, you know, you have to really, and sometimes it's just a game to them. You know, I once heard someone ask Rabbi Willig, uh, what, if, what if they're going to be insulted? So Rabbi Willig said, and what if a girl is going to be insulted if you don't go into the bedroom with her? <laughs> okay, but you know. So what he meant is, we need to deal with this on a case by case basis. I think. Putting your hand out if there's no attraction, there's no type, and it's just it's not a hugger case, it's a handshake. Yeah, Shechta tells a story that he was at a bank once, and the uh, the uh, bank teller. I'll leave out some of the details, but the uh, the, the 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 bank <coughs> person working out something um, stuck out her hand to uh, to Shechta. shook her hand, and then she says, "Oh my gosh, I, I didn't realize you're a rabbi. I shouldn't have done that." And he says, "That's okay. I have no type for you. It's it's okay." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he probably didn't say that, but you know, like he wasn't. Uh, if you have no type, so it's uh, you know, and it's shalom derechiba. I would think that that it would be um, it would be, that would be permissible. Um, you have to, yeah. A lot of these things you have to you have to be careful about. What was I going to say? I had some some very interesting uh, cases along along these lines where, uh, where where there was a lot at stake. Sometimes, you know, where people. Um, People read too much into this, and people get very insulted by this. I don't know, I don't know why. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so my first, my first cousin did not come, and I went to their wedding, and so she like gave me a big hug afterwards, and I got all flustered, and I hugged her back. Was that the right thing to do? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. I was once at an engagement party. Um, and and the the my my wife had some some good friends growing up. My wife went to like a community school growing up that had all different types of uh, of, of of Jews in it. It was uh, some people from very religious homes, some people from not re- not religious at all homes. Very you know like old style Judaism where you know not everyone in the same school had to be exactly the same. So the, the sh- a lot of her closest friends growing up, some of them are barely religious, and some of them are like super Haredi, and you know, and just uh, across the spectrum. So I went to one of her friends' engagement parties. And the friend's not really from, but the guy she was engaged to um, had learned in yeshivas. He had learned in uh, post-high school yeshivas, in Eretz Yisrael. And he's, so, okay, the fact that he's going and hugging and kissing every girl and whatever... But, you know, this is Rabbi and Mrs. Leibowitz, and he sticks out his hand, his hand to shake my wife's hand. So I said, you know, that's a chutzpah. You know, like, he, he should know. It's one thing you don't know any better, but that's already a lahachis to, uh, to do something like that. So I don't know. You have to, it's a big kitschrug on, 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 on the, um, you know, on certain communities where, like, that, that has become hefted. That uh, people, you know, in, in lobbies of shuls after davening, that men are hugging and kissing other other people's wives. It's a it's a big kitchen. You know, someone once said to me, you know, no matter what community it is, there are certain averus that are done in every community, like Lashon Hara. That's everywhere. Like, see, I just did it to all communities. <laughs> so uh, you know, you have certain averus that are done across the board. That one, I think, is uh, it's a big kitchen. We got in the uh, 
more modern communities why it is that they that 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 just completely fell by the wayside. I, I don't I don't really understand it. Yeah. Okay. So that was. Uh, I guess the other shilas. Maybe we we'll get to the next one. Diamond Shalem? Okay, so it's actually a couple, it's, it, What I found out is that a diamond is a little bit different because a diamond stud, a jeweler told me that if a, a pair of, of, of diamond stud earrings cost $1,000, one diamond stud earring costs $500 because they make it up so easily they can find a diamond that's exactly that size and that, that it's really, like it would be, a, it's, it's not a good example. So what's the example the post can really use? You ruin someone's shoe. <laughs> you left him with one perfectly good shoe and another shoe that's, uh, that's destroyed. So do you pay for the half the price of a pair of shoes or do you pay for whatever it would cost to replace the shoe? So what would it cost to... Re- someone, someone told me that the, there's a famous Shiloh the opposite way, that a person is, has, is, has a stamp collection of rare stamps and he has the only two stamps in the world of a certain kind and each one is worth, uh, let's say, $500,000. And someone goes and destroys one of them. And the remaining one now, because it's one of a kind, is worth a million dollars. So how, do you pay for, uh, for destroying a $500,000 stamp? Or do you say, okay, so we're pretty much even. Uh, yeah, you have exactly what you started. So it's, that's like the reverse of this shayla. So there is a machlokas. There's a machlokas um, in, in the Rishonim. Exactly how to... Um, uh, when, 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 you, when, when you damage somebody in a direct way and uh, something else gets damaged indirectly. So let's say the remaining diamond stud would only cost $300, not $500. You'd only be able to get it. If you put it on eBay, you'd only be able to get $300 for it. So it used to be worth half of a $1,000 pair. Now it's only worth $300. But you didn't do anything directly to that remaining diamond stud. It may have go, gone down to dollars in value. You didn't do anything directly. So some of the Rishonim say, the Ravid and others say, so you pay for what you did directly, which is $500 of damage to the one, to the one that you, you damaged directly. The Shittas Rambam is not that way. The Shittas Rambam and the Rith is that, <coughs> is that, when, that, that you'd have to pay even though it was, uh, it was indirect damage. However, it could be that the way you'd measure it over here is not by, you know, what are you left with, the damage that was done. It's how much would it cost to replace it. So if you want to go into a store and buy a new diamond, that's how you measure it. You want to replace what was lost. And that seems pretty clear that that's how you would measure the hezek. So if you go into a shoe store and you say, I'd like to buy a right shoe of this size, you know, but just the right one, not the left one, they will charge you the same thing that they would charge for a pair of shoes. Why? Because what are they going to do with a left shoe? There's, it's not like someone else is coming in behind you saying, I'd like to buy a left shoe. So that doesn't, that doesn't happen. So they're going to charge you whatever. So then you'd have to pay the full price. But let's say if you go into a shoe factory where they could just uh, make as many of right shoes or left shoes as they want. And that's where you do the damage. So then you'd only have to pay how much it costs in a shoe factory to, to replace the shoe. But generally speaking, most people don't have access to the factory. They only have access to the store. So you pay for, for what it would cost in the store. Now when it comes to assessing used items, it gets a little tricky. Because let's say I bought a shirt and I wore it for, I've had it for three, four weeks. So the shirt costs, let's say, $50, right? Three, four weeks later, how much could I sell it for? Probably close to zero. People don't want to buy used shirts. It's just not something people, people, yeah, you, you buy, people buy used jewelry, used iPhones, used, you know, that you go, you go on Groupon and you'll see whenever you see something that looks too good to be true, it says, uh, you know, refurbished, right? It's, uh, people buy these things used, but 
clothing items, personal clothing items, people don't buy used. People don't buy a used shirt. So, so you could say, I damage something that's worthless. Because he couldn't, if you want, if you would have wanted to sell it, so that's a big discussion in the postcom. Do you pay based on what he could have gotten for it, or do you pay based on um, replacement value? What it will cost him to replace it? Now he can't even find a used shirt on eBay because who's selling used shirt? So to replace it, you'd have to buy a brand new one. So I think we generally assume laalachi. You'd have to pay based on what it will cost him to actually replace the item. Um, for an, an now an iPad that's been used for a year, that you can actually find online. So uh, so that you would pay only for for uh, for the replacement value of a used one, not not of a new one, but by a shirt or something like that. So again, the studs may have been the diamond studs may have been a bad example because that really is one is really half the price of two. But uh, in the case of shoes, you'd pay for whatever would probably the full value what it would cost to replace it. Okay, have a wonderful Shabbos, everybody. See you next week.